Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. It's a very exciting one today. Alina has teed this one up, very excited about it, and then got pulled into a meeting. She's off somewhere crying, so I've got Chris with me. Hey, Chris. Hi, mate. I'm also excited about this as I'm a recovering Dungeons & Dragons player, so I know (laughs) far too much about stupid beasts that don't exist. (laughs) But every way I try and find you a girlfriend or make someone fancy you, you go and say something like that and ruin it. Like, (laughs) it's like... It, it will come well, up sooner I'm or later. Doing all of my good work, Christopher. <laughs> well, they'd find my box of dice eventually. <laughs> this is true. They would find your box of dice and your Darth Vader card will cut out as well. Um, I know. Yeah. Is it too late? For me, is it too late for me to cancel this? Uh, hearing all this. Stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Chris, why don't you tell us who we, who has got to suffer our nonsense today? Yes. So today we have uh, Yasmin Elmer, who is a broadcaster and historian who specialises in ancient history and culture. And she's very passionate about bringing the classical world uh, to the modern audience. She's writing her first book on ancient goddesses, but she's here today to talk to us about mythical beasts and monsters. So Yasmin, welcome to welcome to History Hack. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Love chatting to fellow historians, especially ones with cool accents. Alex? Yeah. And ma- just <laughs> mad ones. So whereabouts in London are you? <laughs> well, I don't live in London anymore, but the accent is from East London. It's from North um, so. What about uh, you? Sutton, so around southwest London. But Alina yeah, yeah. is uh, East London as well. Oh, Actually, is she? she oh, we could have had all, we could have done an hour of chats about the East End instead. Well, you, but, uh, we'll have to get you back another time. Another time. Jelly deals or something. <laughs> I feel like I could go, drop my accent and go into full med, go into the Medway accent. <laughs> no one wants that, Chris. No, no one wants. No. no one wants anyone to go full Medway. Is that even legal? Do people right. even want fifty percent Medway? I mean, how yeah. what percentage we can even take? No, no, sure. no, no, no. <laughs> right. Okay. We're going to talk about mythical beasts today because Alina put up some questions for us. This could be really, really interesting because I don't think there's a culture is out there, is there, Jasmine, that doesn't have folklore, mythical monsters and beasts, bogeymen hiding in the wardrobe, under the bed, whatever. They've all got them. Well, exactly. I mean, I think that's why I quite like it because it's one of those universal things that you see in, I mean, not just ancient cultures, but all cultures because, you know, what are our modern day things that we're afraid of we have monsters today they might look more like our politicians and I was going to say real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's quite a few that maybe aren't quite as mythical as we'd like them to be 
But nonetheless, I think it's a part it's part of human culture and society, isn't it, to have things that we're afraid of in monstrous form. So you're right, every every ancient culture and every culture since then has its monsters. And that's why I like them, because we all get it, don't we? Yeah. An easy segue into anything if you know. If you like a monster, there's a culture you can go to that's got monsters and you can kind of, you know, get into the culture that way if you fancy it. If you fancy it, you might find an easier way to do it than that. But that's how I like to do it. So I'm guessing then we could just start at Herodotus, can't we? Well, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that is that where people started writing it down and recording it? Because I'm guessing, like, orally, it's even older than that, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, you're thinking of, like, Herodotus as a historian that's writing down factual yeah. events, right? You know, being one of the first that does that. But um, as a sort of, you know, genre, history, writing. But, you know, mythical beasts go way further back than that because, you know, from, from my perspective as ancient person, um, you know, you're looking at archaeological evidence, you're looking at iconographic evidence, you're looking at that sort of stuff, which goes way back thousands more years than, than that. You know, than than Herodotus writing things down, but because again, because this is we're we're mucking about here because obviously this is history hack, right? So we're kind of messing we're messing with but the yeah. boundaries here because this is whilst this isn't really history, is it? We've just sort of gone. Oh, I know I'll talk about monsters because I love them, but we're sort of like finding a little combination between the two. So it's not that historians aren't interested in mythical monsters, but it's in the domain more of archaeology, religion. Um, in kind of literature than it is firmly in history. So where yeah. did it start? I mean, it starts probably the first time humans could imagine things that they're afraid of. And I can't tell you exactly when that is, but I mean, that's going to be prehistory, isn't it? Yeah. Where they're, where they're, you know, kind of experiencing the world around them and having anxieties about it. And sort of like the ancient mythical monsters and beasts representative of things like natural disasters, like volcanoes or floods. Yeah, well, one portion of it, because if you just think of it in a broader context of anything we're afraid of, yeah, uh, there's probably a monster counterpart. Uh, and yes, natural phenomena, think about ancient cultures especially. We are, I mean, you know, it's topical now, isn't it, with the, the awful earthquake that's happened in Turkey and Syria. Um, but we're, we're always at the behest, aren't we, of these natural disasters. And perhaps in ancient cultures, they feel closer to them than we do today, in, in certain countries at least. So... Yes, does explain partly certain volcanic, a certain phenomena like volcanoes or earthquakes. Uh, not in every culture, but certainly classical culture, which is one of my specialisms, you get that. So the monster kind of like lives under the, it's the idea the monster lives under the volcano or a volcano is personified as a monster. And that's, that's kind of why it's like that. It's why it's so angry all the time and volatile and, it behaves like a monster, right? It's sort of like kind of got one eye on it all the time. You can imagine living under Vesuvius. I mean, before it erupted, but and then after it erupted. Well, before they didn't know it was a volcano technically, but afterwards, you know, you're you're kind of like one eye on it. It's like a monster that lives among you. So yeah, this kind of connection to natural phenomena, including kind of like fear of the sea, fear of anything. I mean, I, I'm using my modern terminology here, a very very academic term. Anything that feels a bit dodgy. Yeah. Probably yeah. has a monster associated with it, I'd say. I think we should. So Chris is a boaty historian. Oh, and God. sailors are dodgy. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing, like, if you want to go one thing mm. is the, the big unknown, still the big unknown, really. I mean, like, yeah. we're only just starting to get down to the bottom to have a look, aren't we, uh, technology-wise. 
sailors and fanciful stories um, trying to process things they see and hear at sea yeah. how much of that loads I mean just loads of it I mean you know like even just like I'm not going to call them a mermaid a monster but even these kind of hybrid creatures that you get that live in the sea in all sorts of different ancient cultures and even modern uh exist so like in classical mythology you've got like Scylla who's like the six-headed monster that kind of eats devours men you've got Charybdis which is a whirlpool and that's that famous bit of the Odyssey if you don't know that the story of Odysseus and he's got to like work out which way to go which one to go near and it's all so I'm not going to spoiler alert it because I'll let you read it I mean you've had thousands of years to read it but still <laughs> yeah. going to give you more chance to read it as you haven't but you know so we have this thing and I think I mean I like Chris will be able to probably explain this a bit better than I would in that sense but ancient cultures especially they, they spend a lot of time on on the sea because trade routes are really important like ancient Greece is what they call a thalassocracy which is a, like posh word for uh, seafaring uh, civilization so they have to they move around a lot on boats so they're on the sea a lot so they need it like they're, they're definitely going to be afraid about whether they're going to get from a to b but also like in a monetary sense if their cargoes are going to be safe um so you get loads and loads of stories about the deep i don't know about you guys but i'm still afraid of it now because we don't know there's going to be a stat here that some one of you might know but we, I, th- I heard once that we know more about space than we do about our own oceans and seas. I mean, is that, is that actually true? Because it's a wicked stat, isn't it? Is it true? Is it no, It is true, apparently. Yeah, yeah so um, about 90% of the ocean we haven't explored. And that freaks me out. Like and I, when I saw the movie The Meg, that scared me. So I thought maybe it's there. <laughs> I have a friend who's a paleontologist that told me, don't worry about it. Um, I can sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, I went but, out there. You know, <laughs> clarification <laughs> yeah 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 but that, i think that you photograph know, like... of the, the photograph of the meg next to the u of south africa is completely faked by the way i've looked into it <laughs> <laughs> what about the kraken? Into it. Yeah, yeah so like yeah i mean the kraken you so that you know obviously you get these you get all of these different mythologies and it's always the same trope isn't it kind of again and again and again it's this idea of this monster, it can either devour people or it can cause shipwrecks and you know, giant squid-like creatures that kind of you know bring ships down. But if you think about it, for human beings, especially in earlier cultures, one of the most scary contexts you can be on, on on the planet is probably at sea, because if you're on land, at least you can run off and you can do other things. But at sea, you really are totally at the mercy of what the sea is going to uh-huh. do. So that's why you get so many cultures. I mean, every single ancient culture has sea monsters as part of them um and nearly always they involve like i said some kind of pulling the ships down and killing people or just directly devouring men from the ship um so you get you know they're all over the place and it's absolutely a way of processing what they're trying well i mean is it a process i don't know if it's a processing because it doesn't sound like it's going to be good therapy does it not going to be helpful to go oh yeah there's a monster over there it's more like (laughs) It's more like an expression, outward expression of your inner fears. Yeah. So in some ways, it's, it's safer for you to put that fear of being of dying at sea, which is a real fear. We know like the number of people that would have died at sea is huge. Um, and for, I don't know what, what the stats are even today, but you know, let's not scare all the cruise people. Um, but you get, you know, you kind of get, you get this thing. You take it out of you. You put it over there, and then it's easier way for you to explore it. It's a safer way for you to explore your fears. If you put it into the Kraken, you put it into Skiller, you put it into whatever sea monster you want, um, now you can look at it and it becomes the other, so it separates from you. 
this is kind of where like a bit of psychology comes into when you look at monsters you're looking so where when I said where's the history link well if we're thinking about how normal people are living their daily lives with these fears inside them this is kind of a way that they're trying to explore those fears in with some separation so in that sense we're looking at like like a version of daily lives of the ancient people that lived uh in and amongst this sort of like world that's I mean, I would I would used to say the a scarier world, but this is this world is way scarier than probably than theirs is. So I won't say that, but you know, that's what, that's what we're getting at there. What's the most terrifying monster you've seen, like representational? Oh, terrifying! Do you mean actually? I'm afraid of it. Like as I'm actually looking yeah, at it because you, like it might actually be real. Like so, we're talking about the the problem. Oh, you mean if it's real? Yeah. yeah. Well, the problem with the sea thing as well, isn't it? As you can go, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Okay, but that ain't real. You'd be like, prove it. Like Chris said, ninety percent of the oceans are unexplored. Prove it isn't out there. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's the hard bit, right? Um, what would be the? I mean, maybe because of what we just said about sea monsters, maybe the sea monsters are the most scary because we because it's essentially knowledge, right? So we've got this. Yeah. Now we have more knowledge and, and more scientific knowledge. Um, so that kind of gives us a certain safety net. And I think if you said some why if it why aren't you afraid of sea monsters? Oh, because well, they're not there. Scientists have had a little look or whatever. Yeah. Even though we've just proven that's not quite true. Um, but that's why those are the ones I think are the only the only ones that will remain. So they might be the scariest to me today because there's I guess it's still uncharted territory, um, which is part of this kind of process. So yeah, I mean, what an individual. I mean, I've got to be honest. A lot I find more of them funny than I do. <laughs> which is probably not the right way to think about it. Because some of them are just so mad that I just think, really, mm. uh, I'm not finding that scary. Um, maybe I'm just hardcore. I was brought up quite a lot on horror. There's not, there's not a lot I can, not a lot that scares. When you grow up in the East End of London, I mean. <laughs> I've seen it all. I've seen it all. Nothing I've <laughs> got a very exciting answer. But I think sea, definitely. I've definitely got a thing maybe where the sea, I'm like, oh, what's going on down there? So I think the sea monsters are probably the scariest. Yeah, the, there was a there was another account of a U-boat being attacked by a sea monster in the First World War off the in the Irish Sea, apparently. Right. Yeah. Is that in, so. is that in official documentation or is that like a uh, newspaper? That's, that's, what the, that's, what the, that's what the crew claimed, and there was damage apparently. Nothing to do with the captain having the door open. No, it's a long story, but yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, all right, we're making a bit of a joke there, but like it just goes to show that. We're talking a bit here in an ancient context. This thing, this still exists for us, you know, even today. Like there are people today who still believe in the Loch Ness monster um, and go hunting for it. Um, I, so like I this... actually did. I went looking for it. Not did you like. Find it? Well, no, because I only spent about a half hour and then I got bored and I left. So <laughs> I was living in a caravan on the edge of Loch Ness, and he's in the Guinness Book of Records because he hasn't moved since the early 1990s. Well, and literally he, hasn't moved, or yeah, do you mean he's not he's... left Loch Ness <laughs> right. since 1992 or something? He he moved in, he got divorced, sold his house, bought a caravan. Not surprised. Now he, uh, <laughs> made, what about the divorce bit? Yeah. Now makes little models of, of the Loch Ness Monster, what he thinks it looks like, but he has been sitting there waiting for it for more than 30 years. This is starting to sound like a plan. 
What does that tell you? Like, Chris, you're not doing well. Not let you do. You're not there yet. There's still dating apps we haven't tried. Right. What, so what, what does that tell us about the human psyche? Well, that specific man, I think that man needs no, to it's be like the need for answers, isn't it? The, the need for yeah. answers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, basically, if you transport yourself back to any ancient context, you've got your, you've got the human civilization that is springing up. Whatever culture you like, you can put put yourself anywhere, and you've got this this culture. But remember that at some point, human civilization reaches a boundary, and when you hit that boundary, so I'm talking about physical space here, like you know, a city yeah. or something, right? And then you hit a boundary, and then on the other side is the wild, the unknown. So that happened a lot more than it does today. So I know, I live in Exeter. When I drive to the edges of Exeter, it's all right when I hit the countryside. I'm not going to be scared, because that's not the unknown for me, right? But what's happening in ancient cultures, obviously you get, I mean, it might not literally be the exact boundary of the city, but like, you know, metaphorically, rather further or whatever. But then... That's why they have this system in the world, if you like, of mythology and monsters and supernatural, because for them, there is there is a literal potential when you cross the boundary from human civilization into the wild, the unexplored, basically, the untamed. That's where monsters usually dwell. So there are all those old maps that have here be dragons where they don't know what to draw. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, dragons are a great example because they transcend a lot of like cultures. So you, you get them in lots of different cultures, but you also get them across time. Um, and even all the way up to the modern day with our love of Game of Thrones and other such, uh, dragon like programs. You know, Matthew Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know nothing about that, but I do know it's actually down with the kids nowadays, isn't it? Or that Dungeons and Dragons. And they're cool. It's, it's like a cool thing to do, I think. So well done, Chris, because I don't know yeah, nothing about that. Not, not if you're 42, but we'll we'll discuss no. that. <laughs> um. we'll, we'll, yeah, maybe for another maybe for another show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I was just trying to say is that you get this, you know, when you get into this era of the unexplored, that's where they that's where monsters are, and that it makes sense, right? Again, because I told you about this way you kind of disconnect your your fears and you put them further away from you, but also it's this kind of danger of exploration. Like if I go out into that wild and I venture into it, what am I going to find? And that's where you see, that's where all the dodginess will be. As I, my official term I keep using, dodginess will exist. So actually it's fear, like I, I don't want to like make it like, you know, make it really too much of a point on this, but you could, you could connect this to fear of like foreigners as well. And people, I'm not, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that I have no fear of foreigners. What I'm trying to say is that you—that's where some it's xenophobia, isn't it? It's like it's like kind of like what the the opposite, the other, where they're coming from is a different place, and so it's kind of monsters are an extreme version of that. There's like kind of our human fears of other, the wild, the untamable. Because really, what is a monster? Is something that humans can't overpower very easily. I know they do in myth, you know, very, there are various myths about this, which is a way of us appeasing our fear. So if we get like Perseus to lop off Medusa's head. Um, then what that is, is I'm putting aside patriarchy thoughts. Um, what that is, is us taming the monster. So that's making us feel better, right? Yay. Okay. Um, right. But mm. you've just mentioned the patriarchy because I have. we, all right, we don't know what it is that sink ships maybe in the ancient world or whatever. But Are you saying the patriarchy sunk ship? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is, then there's unknown stuff, right? But then no culture can claim not to know what a woman is and not to be able to overpower a woman. So why why are so many monstrous figures 
female i mean you already mentioned mermaids but medusa ariadne like why is it always terrifying women because women yeah. are scary <laughs> we are to be honest let chris answer by the stuff i think chris has got the right answer well no you, like you, you may you may you kind of because obviously like all monsters are on a hierarchy so we were talking kind of about those bigger monsters that exist in the wild that devour men and a lot of the things you were talking about originally are those kind of monsters and then fem- female monsters as a subcategory if you like represents something similar but also different and that is you know they often pop up in patriarchal societies not always but often do pop up in patriarchal societies and you know the fear of female monsters is like a double threat so they've got all the monster stuff that we've spoken about that we don't like fine the other the other places of the exploration untamed all of that but on top of that you get no like male fears about female power and female power in different forms. So it can be kind of just literal power. Um, and it can be sexual power. It can be all sorts of different types of power that women possess that also go into these monstrous females. Um, and so they become doubly scary in that sense to men, right? Yeah. <laughs> to men, they become doubly, <laughs> doubly scary. So they, the, the other thing that is really important is we have to get to this kind of point about. Uh, women are the ones that give birth so this idea that you know if we if there are female monsters it's the fact that they can give birth to more monsters that's a fear so like there's you know there's a the male fear of like legitimacy or fear of kind of offspring uh being a certain way women have that power because they're the ones that carry the children and, and give birth to them so there's a few things that women represent that are particularly scary to men and that's why, so for example, in classical cultures, like you just said about Medusa, um, that's why we get these monsters there that have a very distinctly female vibe because that's a, a very patriarchal society. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If that makes sense. It does. I like the praying mantis. Who literally just shags them, then bites their heads off. <laughs> yeah. You also get women getting punished by the gods a lot. Like Medusa was punished because she was beautiful. Ariadne is punished because she can sew and really well. And so it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of women being punished by the patriarchal gods. It's usually Zeus if he's not shagging yeah, them. Yeah, I mean. I know what you mean. I hear what you're saying there. So, like, you know, because obviously Ariadne's not... When we talk about monsters, we have to do it, make sure we talk about monstrous... I didn't, we yeah. didn't really give a definition, but what a monstrous thing 
will have certain components and they make them a monster. So Ariadne's not a monster. She's a female, right? So we can't put, that's the different point we're making when we talk about female individuals. But like when you said about women getting punished by the gods, yes, they do, but so do men. It's about the behaviour of the individual and what that represents. And Nearly always says at the heart of Greek myth, there's usually a, a mortal person that has decided to be better than the gods and shown hubris, which is arrogance, which is an arrogance where you think you're so much better that you're even better than the gods. And that they're the ones that need to be smited down. So Ariadne is an example of that. And that can be male or female. So you get that kind of, that, that mixes around a bit. But um, you're right that women in general don't get always get the best outcomes in Greek myth, which is probably where that point's coming from. Um, there's, there's quite a harshness to it. Um, so, and then that does link into patriarchy. So, you know, there's kind of, when we're ta- chatting about monsters, they're their own genre of myth. But I think we need to keep slightly separate to just women. But you can look at women and, and monsters together in figures like Medusa. Well, just but with the mermaids as well. So isn't it that they lure men to their deaths, either on the rocks or... And that's the sirens, yeah. So they're not mermaids. But yeah, no, but it's not what you mean. So the sirens are like these like bird-like female creatures that sing beautifully and lure sailors towards the rocks and then they have a, a shipwreck uh, because of that. So again, but that's, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to keep bringing, keep poking on Chris here, but sailors and women. We do it all the time. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Sailors and women, there's a history with that, isn't there? Like, you know, so, you know, this is like, you know, like sailors being kind of, you know, seduced by these women and their beautiful voices and then dying for it. So it's a kind of like, it's like a, a sexual sea combo on that one, <laughs> which makes sense if you think about soldiers, uh, sorry, sailors' lives. And it was only the discipline of Odysseus of like pouring hot, uh, pouring uh, honey into his men's ears so they couldn't hear, and then tying himself to the mast so he wouldn't be tempted. And with discipline, they can get past them. Exactly. Exactly. So that's part of like again. So it has to be Odysseus, the leader, the wise man that is able to, to, to deal with this issue by putting wax in the ears, exactly, and getting them to tie him down. But even then, he, even then, he sort of knew that if he heard the sounds of them, he's likely to steer the ship towards them and, and, uh, and die. So the Odyssey is full of, like, mon- loads of monsters, which is cool, but also loads of, like, all of these things carry symbolism. I think the whole point of today is that we don't, don't just look at the monster, but look at it, again, if you're a history fan, it's looking at what that monster symbolises and what it can tell you about the society of the time. Um, because every single monster can do that for you. So even if you're like, whatever, that ain't history. But if you, it is history because what it is is a reflection. It's like a mirror uh, image of what's going on in a society. So it's like a kind of little neat way into any society you want to look at. So um, why do they eventually sort of disappear? Well, we just said we're so afraid of the sea, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so you yeah. mentioned knowledge, didn't you? So with more knowledge comes less monsters because we've ruled them out. Like, yeah, but exactly. we haven't entirely ruled them out. And but a yeah. lot of people are are still massively susceptible to wanting to believe in. I mean, we could start talking about aliens as well in the same vein, mm. couldn't we? Believe this is right. Mm. Yeah, it's just basically like I mean ancients perhaps ancient monsters specifically like do we really believe Medusa's yeah. around well I've seen Medusa got decapitated so we don't believe she's around but you know like do we believe that it's possible these these people these monsters are still around no we don't why one there's a few answers to this obviously culture, culturally we've moved on 
but we've moved on uh, and we're more rational and scientific largely than we may have been in the ancient world we we, we most most societies are probably leaning more towards the factual and the scientific rather than the kind of supernatural and mythical that's one thing two uh we explored the whole world so apart from the seas that we're now all scared about uh, no one's everyone's freaking out after this episode with that but um you know you you we we don't have a lot of unexplored land anymore so i know that reduced not over there because i've gone and had a little look basically um and then you know the other thing you said that where we do what are we afraid of today then we are still afraid right we still have monsters but they look different and to me they, they they've got we've pushed that boundary of wild further so aliens is a great example because what do we not know now we don't know about life on other planets that's our unknown so the boundary's gone way out right because we've explored planet earth so we're like well let's go further out so and i think you know regardless of what you think about aliens a lot of people like you know aliens almost certainly exist in some form even if it's plant life or something but they you know they still need to think the entire universe is empty it's just us um so most people do think that and therefore that's scary to us isn't it and then there's obviously you go down to the more extreme versions where people think aliens are visiting us and stuff like that. But that's the same thing. That's our like modern version of these ancient monsters, these things coming to us. But the other thing I would just say is I think that we're much, I think we're, this exists in the ancient world, which is really cool as well as an idea. Not cool. I always do that. I'll, I'll explain this properly. I've just completely messed this up. But Mate, basically. It's fine. Alina has referred to the Second World War as the fun war by accident. <laughs> at one point on this podcast and everybody in the room just went and then she realized what she'd said don't worry it's a thing it's a nerd thing it's a nerd thing we're fine it's a nerd thing what i was about to say was just i'm gonna forget what i'm gonna say now as well um what i was about to say is is this idea of like um the monstrous within us so that's 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 something that exists in the ancient world but uh, i'd say we're more afraid of and the cool bit that i was gonna go into was serial killers so that was the thing I was trying to say. Like they had, they did have discussions and fears about serial killers in the ancient world, um, and this is a real thing that people don't really. People think it's a modern thing. They think, oh, serial killers isn't that just like the seventies were so shit that serial killers just. I can't yeah, swear, they so, appeared. Yeah, that they just appeared, but actually they've been around for a while. So that I think now, if you think about how much like true crime and something, we're all really fascinated. I think now the monster is even more like we're more afraid of the monster in the human than we used to be in the past but i just wanted to make the point that that has always been there too like the monster in the in the person that's something that they've thought about um in the past too uh, and even philosophers talked about it so you know plato people like that um so that's that was what i'd say aliens and monsters in us serial killers that's what we're still afraid of so they've gone but they've changed they've shape-shifted as monsters do yeah, because there's that the early interpretation of vampires were just people who'd sneak into other people's houses and steal bread and milk and then go and live in graveyards because yeah. that's the only place they could live in like the big palatial tombs. And it's like, yeah. oh, they they joke that they come from taking the life's blood of the people to drinking the blood of the people and children who are being kidnapped. Oh, it must be like the the uh, witches and succubuses and things like that. Exactly. Every that's what I mean about this is why monsters are pretty decent because. Every culture has its monsters, um, and every and every even every like even if you look at historical events, we were talking about World War Two, but you know, mon- there's plenty of monsters in that. <laughs> they just don't yeah. look like the monsters I'm chatting about. Um, so you know, I think that we that's where anything that is is an expression of fear. I think you can kind of 
you know, change what a monster might look like to us today and throughout cultures and you know, throughout time. But it's still, they're always there. They're not going anywhere. Is there, there must be a, like a, a, a monster that's feared and reviled in one culture, but everyone thinks is great in another? Oh, that's a good question. It's Santa Claus. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, really? I mean, there's there's probably a difference between another culture taking it and um, uh, taking ownership of it and changing it. But yeah. I don't know that I can think of an example where, for example, this culture really loved this monster and the other didn't. Um, because you know, and that would make sense, right? I mean, I'm, I'm saying I don't know that I can't think of an example that fits that. But that also makes sense with the theory I'm talking about because. Despite different cultures, all human beings Have possess similar anxieties and fears. So it would be a bit weird if one culture was like, oh, I'm really afraid of Medusa. And the other one was like, yes, Medusa, I'm here for that. <laughs> that wouldn't really make much sense, right? Because like the culture would have to be so, like the human psyche would have to be so different. In the, and obviously there are lots of different cultures and they take things differently. I guess um, dragons are more interesting, actually, because dragons, we haven't talked about dragons too much, but... Dra- dragons are probably the best example of what you're talking about. So there is, uh, throughout time, you can see dragons as sometimes becoming lucky, especially in kind of Far Eastern cultures. So, you know, like you, the, the dragon symbol is a symbol of luck and power, whereas originally it's a symbol, you know, it's a, a marauding beast that might, that might breathe fire, it might eat people or whatever. But there, there are elements of it where they're kind of, maybe more lucky so that's the kind of thing where that's more of an evolution of the dragon probably rather than uh contemporary things at the same time i don't know enough about the dragon in chinese cultures to be able to tell you what the timelines are like when you put that against um the like you know western cultures you like classical cultures or later cultures but that definitely exists so you definitely like the dragon's quite quite an interesting monster to look at because like again it transcends time and it's so popular in so many cultures i mean it's probably the first monster that people might consider and it has such ancient origins you know it's, it's, it's in the very first cultures um and all the way through to today so it's a good it's a goodie it's a goodie to look at is it your favorite because predictably alina wants to know what your favorite monster is no my favorite is the chimera and she'll love my reason why. So the chimera is this creature, um, kind of um, fire-breathing. It's a bit of a dragon. It's a bit of a lion. And the best bit of it is it's a bit goat, which, which is why I love it. Because what is that about? <laughs> so if you look at the iconography of this thing, it's kind of like a, looks like a lion's body, usually, with fire-breathing out. And it's got a little snaky tail. So that's like the dragon element. The snake is the dragon in, in a lot of ancient cultures. And then it's just got this goat's head on its back, okay. which I think is absolutely brilliant. I just, I just want to know. I just got this image of this bloke by a fire in like ancient Greece, just going, "Hmm, I'm going to make up a new monster. I'm going to chuck a goat on its back and see what, what everyone says about it." I mean, there, there is. It doesn't look one. that scary. How can we make it no. more Stick a goat head on it. I mean, no, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm joking about it. I do. Know no, no, it's it true. Like, you reckon it was just like? I really hope it was just some ancient Greek guy totally stoned off his yeah, nut on ancient Greek. That's pop. what I want. Like, yeah. well, I just want him to be absolutely pissed up and just going, "I know what to do. Let's chuck a goat on it." And everyone goes, "Yes, mate." And that's how <laughs> yeah. it goes. 
Um, yeah, but I mean, there is a bit of symbolism behind it because obviously the, the lion is a bit obvious and maybe the snakey bit is a bit obvious, but the goat on the back is, some scholars have argued that it's kind of about like the domesticate, like the domestic side of the, of the, of the monster. So it represents kind of, uh, the, because it's a female monster as well. So, um, it's that, it's that kind of element of femininity that's about the domestic realm. I mean, Maybe, but I just prefer the one where someone just, I mean, when I say the one, it's fully made up, it's not real. Um, the one where I just go, yeah, I fancy that. Yeah, I'm still going to go with the personified praying mantis from that episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> where she was literally biting blokes' heads off. <laughs> just literally using them for sex and then biting their heads off. Like, I'm, I'm done that. Like, that's a, a reasonable way forward. Maybe I'll start an app. I'm sure Chris is Which- which dating app is she on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Chris. What's yours? <laughs> I think probably. Uh, I don't know. It'd be hard. I'd probably have to go with Gorgons in general. Um, yeah. Just the whole story of um, Perseus and the reflective shield and the three sisters, and it's just fantastic. All the Minotaur. Yeah, it's, 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 Minotaur is my story. I, I, I yeah. use the when I get lost, like start tying, leaving trails so I can find my way back. <laughs> I like the Minotaur as well because it's you know you might um, potentially there's connections to the Minotaur and explanations for um, earthquakes because he's on the ground and there's a lot of descriptions in yeah. the ancient texts of him bellowing, which is an odd an odd term and it sort of might represent the sounds of of the under, you know of, of what happens underground and the labyrinth is kind of like womb-like and under the ground so uh yeah it's so sad the minotaur because actually it's just dis- he's just discarded down there just because of the madness of his own birth which is just really i think it's really tragic we don't talk actually there's not a lot about the minotaur in ancient texts really but i just think he's really sad he's like relegated but oh no, poor little the whole, thing the whole- the whole story's sad as well because the hero kills him, gets the boat back home, forgets to change the colour sails, yes. leaves them black, and his mother goes, he dies, and she throws herself from the cliff and dies as well. So yeah, that's right. No it's, one's it's, a winner in that story. Yeah, it's his, it's his father, Aegeus. He, he's supposed to change the sails over to know he's safe, but he doesn't. Ah, oh, well, you know, I'm not a fan of Theseus. If you ask a lot of classicists, especially younger ones, we don't like Theseus. Um He's a, he's a bit of a douchebag, really. So, I mean, decent end. Decent end for him. Quite happy about that bit. That's not a tragedy to me. I was like, yeah, fair enough. I just love how, <laughs> I love how Chris has managed to, like, <laughs> basically empathise with the minotaur being discarded and alone through no mistake of his own. He was just born ginger. It wasn't his fault. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on a serious note. <laughs> is there any uh, point in doing that? <laughs> no, it's not that serious, really. It's just, just an actual structured question instead of us mocking Chris. Mythical beasts, you've mentioned, are representative of ancient cultures and can tell us a lot about ancient cultures. I think my problem as a modern historian with ancient history is every time I ask one of you lot something, your answer is, oh, well, we don't really know. But, so is this a way, things like mythical beasts, and mad stories like this is this a way to attract people to studying ancient history yeah i mean well first of all i'll come back right at you because you started off a little war there between modern history and ancient history i've got to represent that i'm not gonna let you get away with that come on Um, there's no documents there's nothing to look at 
<laughs> no, there is. There is so much. Do you know what? The, the genuine people ask this a lot, like modern history. Like everyone knows modern history, they know what it is. But when they go into the ancient world, like what you're actually doing, I don't get it. But the the different, the true difference is, I think, if you're a detailed person and you're getting into your modern history, you've got all that documentation. It's all there. Sometimes it's, it's depending how modern a historian you are. Uh, you know, you might have the, like the actual direct words of the individual that you're looking at, or whatever. You've got real direct evidence. Sometimes even I can't believe that you get guys get visual evidence like films and photographs. That's exciting. But um, yeah, no. But the thing is, like for us, it's like you know, you you're you're trying to piece together all these different types of evidences, which I prefer because I like uh, looking at a historical document, which usually involves translation, so it's language. Uh, and then you might look, then you might be like, oh, here's a little piece of the puzzle. And then I need to go to archaeology to fill the rest of it in. And then a piece of literature. So, so like myth, mythical beasts and things like that are actually a part of this big, this like mosaic of how we build ancient lives. Um, so that I can see why it's frustrating to people that are used to like prefer to work in a more structured way. But I like it because it means there's so much to explore. It's so much more interpretation that you can put on something. So, you know, like, is this a good way? Well, yeah, because it's a little piece of the puzzle. So you could, I would never encourage anyone to go, let me just do beasts and move on. But the truth yeah. is, I, I do find, I don't want to say anything about your lovely listeners, but the monstrous part of it is something we all relate to. Whether or not, you know, you get it. You were a kid, you listened to that story, you get this, whatever, we all know it. And because all of my work is about accessibility and relatability of history, that is a nice way in because it means you're already you're already happy where you are. You kind of I kind of know I, I've heard of this Medusa. I know what's going on there, and then you step in that way and you think, well, wouldn't that be interesting to look at kind of ancient attitudes to women or other things like that uh, in the ancient world or in, in in this culture? So definitely think it's a great way to attract people to ancient studies. Yeah, so I think I think it's it's all about bringing it all together and kind of a little bit of the mosaic. But then I don't know, because do you hate that then? Do you hate this idea of having to bring together all these different disciplines? Is that something that you don't like? Or would you I mean, like- I, I just, my world is simple. I spent the whole of yesterday sitting there with a bound volume of crap written by uh, Admiral Jellico in his own words, Ooh. like literally yeah. five seconds after something happened. Um, and I'm spoiled. I am spoiled <laughs> as a historian. And I get that all the time. <laughs> Me and my many, many documents, not... Yeah, I don't know. I just think it, it is mad, isn't it? It's like we look it's at each really other different. across the historical divide, ancient historians and modern historians. I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're weird. But, but could you, like, I'm, I, I don't want to drop the U-boat word again, but I'm going to. I'm trying to. I'm chasing a U-boat that disappeared in the Aegean, and no one knows why it didn't turn up. Could you, as an ancient historian, and go, yeah, Kraken? That's why I didn't turn up. <laughs> no, no, that's not. That's not classical. No, because that's not classical mythology. Our kids go. Fun. No. I've no Charybdis or something. <laughs> I would love to be able to. I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Maybe like ancient people who are into ancient stuff. Um, we're just maybe we like to make make stuff up. Maybe we're just more into kind of like oh, use my imagination. Uh, a yeah, bit we up. You know. Um, so yeah, why don't we say that? I think your conclusion on what you're working on, Chris. Stop, stop. Put it all down. All you got to say. Up comes Skiller. That's how they yeah. die. Yeah, like in that movie with the U-boat that goes into the dinosaur ter- dinosaur thing. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Same thing. <laughs> U-boats and Steam Monsters by Chris Sands, coming 2026. Yeah, <laughs> God help us. Uh, 
Jasmine, thank you so much for this. It's been brilliant. And you are you were talking about like using monsters and, and characters in classical literature and mythology to, to give a wider interpretation of history. And I imagine that's what you're doing with your book on goddesses. Yeah, so you know, like I I I like to dab all across the ancient world a little bit. So yeah, my book. Oh, my so book you've gone rogue, like you'll do Greek and ancient um, Roman. And oh yeah, well no, that's my original background. So my undergraduate degree was the entire ancient world, and then when I I was actually a school teacher, so I specialised in classics then, um, and became a teacher. So that's why I've got this. And then when I did my master's thesis, I worked on monsters. So um monsters is like one of my little areas but this is what's so cool about ancient because you can just be like okay I'm gonna go to this now so I'm really interested like the, the the female monsters got me into thinking about femininity in a wider sense and that's where there is a connection because I've gone from like looking at monsters as part of my thesis I'm thinking about femininity in a wider sense and move to the book so yeah the book is going to be about ancient goddesses across a variety of different cultures ancient cultures and hopefully ones that people haven't really had the chance to explore before and it's going to be a book uh for everyone so you know like it's one of those sort of public history books you can just turn up and and read it you don't need to have a background in it because that is what all my work is about it's what my podcast is about it's what my tv work is about it's all about getting people into it uh that don't have a chance because you guys i don't know how you guys feel as historians but Ancient ancient stuff has a, ba- a specifically bad rap for um but you know rep sorry did I just say rap that's okay you just sounded down with the kids um yeah I don't know if you know about ancient rap but it's so dope no, <laughs> um, we, yeah, we don't do gatekeeping at history hack we don't no I know you guys don't but what I'm saying is that like you know when you think about the ancient world you do yeah. it's small it's even smaller community and so it's time for that that's to move on. So that's what I'm trying to do with my stuff. So it's been lovely talking to you guys and meeting historians that do the same thing in modern history. Yeah, me, you, Alina, Chris or Blakeney tag along and a pub at some point, I think. Indeed. In this Indeed. Uh, Chris, Chris can go to the bar. It sounds, like, it sounds like I've got to bring a date for Chris, though, if I ever meet Chris in person. <laughs> like that's where we're going with this. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to put that demand on anyone who wants to come out drinking with us. You've got to bring a girlfriend for Chris. Okay, I'll, I'll get looking. Lord knows we've tried to find one and failed. <laughs> now, we're now farming it out. We're now subcontracting. I'll get, I'll get on it, Chris. I'll get on it. Uh, I promise, <laughs> promise us that you will come back and tell us all about goddesses when the book is out. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to. Um, it's been great chatting to you. And I hope everyone's just, I've just tried to give everyone a little bit of a like foothold in this today. So if you love all this stuff, go and like read up on some specifics a bit more. But um, it's been wicked ha- being on here today. Thanks. And I'll be back. Excellent. We look forward to it. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section thank you so much for your continued support we really appreciate our listeners and supporters so make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book <laughs>